Today, we're going to be talking about a good topic, grace. Um, it's an interesting topic. It's a uh, very broad uh, topic. When, you, when it comes to the Bible, you, you see that word grace a lot, especially in the New Testament. And there are various uh, explanations and definitions for grace um, that we'll get into. But I wanted to, to start by, by reading the scripture that we're going to look at, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10 is our primary scripture for the, for the day. And uh, I just encourage you, as we read through this, look for, look for grace and look for what it means to the, the believer. So Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, today is a, a special Sunday. It's what we call Reformation Sunday. And um, this isn't the exact day, but several hundred years ago, 501 years ago, about, um, a guy took a hammer and nail and went to a church door and uh, nailed up 95 theses. It was Martin Luther and it was the Wittenberg, I think it's a V sound at the beginning. I'm not German, so correct me on that, but uh, the Wittenberg church and um, that is what we commonly look at as the, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And I'm not a huge history buff. I'm not like, for some reason, names and dates escape me a lot. But um, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, was an extremely important time um, in the history of mankind and in the history of our, our understanding of how God relates to man. Um, primarily, Martin Luther went and nailed these theses to the door because the Catholic Church at the time was a mess. Uh, they had all kinds of theological errors and things going on. Uh, they were promoting things like indulgences where uh, basically they would encourage you, hey, you uh, want to cut down on the penance that you have to do to pay for your sin? 
well, just give us some money, give us a gift or whatever, and that'll, that'll cut your, your penance down. And, and you know what? Hey, you got a loved one who's in uh, purgatory, serving time, trying to get to heaven as quickly as they can. Well, again, give us money, and uh, that'll go towards shortening their time in purgatory. And does that sound a little uh, bad? <laughs> little greedy yeah it was it was corrupt it was not proper it was not right um there were people who uh who were limiting the availability of the bible itself now um back in those days there there wasn't the ability to mass produce the bible that came with the invention of the printing press but even so the the higher-ups in the Catholic Church were saying, oh, no, 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 you don't read the Bible. You let us tell you what the Bible says. And, you know, there were, there were other things that just uh, were not right with the Catholic Church. And so, um, by the grace of God, uh, he stirred up Martin Luther and others to, to begin to look at these things and to protest them. That's where that that word comes from, a, a Protestant. They were looking at the corruption, the bad things going on in the Catholic Church, and we're saying, uh, no, <laughs> we actually don't think that's right. And, um, and they looked to God's word to try and figure out what is the truth about this? You know, the, I'm being told this, but is this really true? And, and they were comparing God's word to what they knew, and it just wasn't lining up. Um, Martin Luther was, uh, as I said before, kind of the, the person who started this off, but there were, there were other reformers or Protestants, uh, Zwingli in Switzerland, John Calvin in France, and, and many others. Um, and they all started coming together and realizing, oh man, we, we've been fed a bunch of lies, and, and we want to know what the truth is. And as a, as a result of this, uh, this protesting against the, the Catholic Church, um, there were some, some common mistakes, common errors that were, um, that were clear to almost everybody. And to combat those mistakes, they, they came up with, uh, with different good doctrines. And one of the things that came out of the Protestant Reformation was the, the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. And these were five phrases that used the word sola, uh, which basically means alone. So there was uh, sola gratia, which we're going to talk about today. There was sola fide, or faith alone. There was solus Christus, Christ alone. Sola scriptura. Scripture alone, and soli dea gloria, meaning to the glory of God alone. So there were the, these five phrases that all had to do with alone, and they all had to do with one of the major uh, heresies that was going on in the Catholic Church. Now, we, we could spend a lot of time talking about each one of these, uh, but we don't have that time this morning. So I'm going to try and um, focus in on just one of these statements. 
If you would like to, to know more about the others, I would encourage you to look up the Protestant Reformation study. Uh, these are really uh, great things uh, came from this. And um, the, the interesting thing about these sola statements is that they, they all are kind of intertwined. They, they build on each other. And so it's, it's a little bit hard to just take one of them and talk about them because you find yourself wanting to go to the next one. When you're talking about grace, uh, you know, you find yourself wanting to talk about Christ because it's through him that we have grace. And and grace leads to faith. You know, so there's like, there's an intertwining of these sola statements and they they back up and they strengthen one another and they really um, provide a pretty solid foundation for what the Bible teaches about salvation, redemption, and those sorts of things. And even one of those statements, Sola Scriptura, shows that their, their concern was that they were getting these truths, these statements, from Scripture, not from the Pope, not from someone who's who claimed authority that they didn't necessarily have. So, um, in particular, I want to look at sola gratia, which means grace alone. And uh, as I said, grace, there's a lot of different aspects of grace that are, are talked about in the Bible, but of specific importance to Luther and the Protestants was how does grace relate to salvation. Now there is uh, what we call common grace, which is basically, hey, you woke up this morning, right? That's a gift from God. Um, It's raining and kind of ugly outside, but the rain is a gift from God. It replenishes, it refreshes. You know, we, we look around and we see common grace everywhere. We all breathe. We all, you know, have clothing, we all have certain things, and these are all common graces. They're not specific to just believers, they're they're common to everyone. Believers and unbelievers alike receive grace from God in that sense of just common everyday things that are a blessing or a gift from God. That's not exactly what we're going to be talking about here. Um, We also there is a lot of scripture that, that deals with just the, the everyday life of the Christian and the grace needed every day to follow God's word, to do what it says. Uh, the Holy Spirit working in you is, is a grace in and of itself, and he gives you grace to do the things that the scriptures say we should do. And so there's this uh, sanctifying work of grace in our lives, but that's not particularly what we're going to be talking about. What we want to kind of focus in on is how does grace apply to salvation? That moment when, as our scripture said, we go from being dead to being made alive. And hopefully you caught it as we read this uh, passage. Um, Grace is what saves you. Twice in this passage in Ephesians, it says, by grace you have been saved. 
And so we're going to look at grace today as the gift of God in salvation. And to, uh, to maybe define it a little bit more, grace in salvation is the, the attitude and the enabling that gives a spiritually dead man life. So it, it's, it's the attitude and the enabling or the power that gives life to a dead person. Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. And a key component of this grace is that it's not merited, it's not earned, it's not deserved, it's grace. It is something that, that we could never, ever possibly say, I deserve that. We can't do it. If we could, then it wouldn't be grace. Part of the, the very definition that, that is drawn out in this uh, passage and other passages in the Bible is that the, the grace of God in salvation is something completely other than yourself. It is only from God, and you cannot earn it, you cannot deserve it. You can't work for it. You can't give money to me and expect to get God's grace, which is what Luther was going, hey, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. You're right, it doesn't make sense because that would be you giving something and getting something in return, and that's not grace. So, Unfortunately, to, to really understand grace, we have to get to uh, some things that are kind of hard to hear. Um, to really understand grace, we have to really understand that we're all just, we're dead meat. We're in trouble. Um, we are despicable people. How many of you say, amen? <laughs> or maybe I should rephrase that. We were despicable people. And if you are unsaved, you are in that category. But after grace, grace changes us. Makes us new. But to really appreciate that, we have to see that we are dead. We are evil. And this is exactly where, where uh, Paul starts out in this passage from Ephesians. Look at verse 1. And you, you were great. You were lovely. You were a worthy person. You were deserving of God's salvation. Right? Nope. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we start out here and we see we've got a problem. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. If you look back at... Uh, 
pretty famous psalm, Psalm 51. This is a psalm of David. And in Psalm 51, verses 3 through 5, David says this. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, specifically, David is talking about his sin with Bathsheba, but we can, we can take these words and apply them generally to our lives and say, we were brought forth in iniquity. We, we were sinners from the very beginning. From the moment David was conceived, he's saying, there was sin in me. You know, that idea that, well, a baby, you know, they're pure and they're they're good, and then it's only as time goes by that they get a sin nature. It's just, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're all sinners. And, and it happens immediately. We, we are brought into this world in a fallen condition. Romans 3, 9, if you want to turn there, is another uh, good description of what man is like. Romans 3, 9 through 18. Paul says, uh, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not, know they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Doesn't sound good, does it? I mean, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. Everyone's turned aside. Everyone is evil. Everyone is despicable. Everyone is lost. We're quick to run after sin, to run after the, the desires of our flesh that, that are not according to God's word. If you go back to Ephesians 2, we, we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Like, in our natural state, we as human beings walk in sin. That's just, that's how we do it. That's how we roll. We walk in sin. We follow the course of this world. Not only do we walk in sin, but we look around and we say, hey, cool. You're going this way too? All right. That's the course of the world, is to walk in sin, to go against what God would want. We follow the course of this world. We're following the prince of the power of the air. That's a fancy way of talking about the devil, the evil one, and his desires and his wishes. Man naturally goes towards those things. Man naturally is inclined to listen to the serpent. We follow after him, and we think it's great. And we look around, and we go, hey, everybody's following with me. Cool. 
but it's not cool. It's, it's bad. It's sinful. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This, this power of the air, the prince of the power of the air, dev, the devil, he is, um, he is at work in the sons of disobedience. He is the one who is, uh, who is leading a lot of people. And, and the basic description of people in their natural state is not that they are sons of obedience to God's will, but they are sons of disobedience. The end of verse 2 there. So things are bad. There is evil inside us. It, it comes naturally to us to be evil to be bad, to be wicked, to turn our backs on God, to be disobedient. Um, and it, it's important for us to, to see this too. Look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Paul isn't saying, well, some of you guys deal with this, but then there are some who, who live an okay life. And who actually have some good in them. And those are the people that, that seek after God. And those are the people that God saves. And those are the people that God wants for his followers. No, we all are in this category. There is no one who is righteous. There is no one who seeks after God. We're all disobedient. We all once lived in the passion of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And here's where things get worse. Because that's a, a good description of us. But we could just say, well, you know, so what? So we're all bad. You know, I'm bad, you're bad. We're all evil. It's all right. Except for the fact that uh, Paul draws our attention to what that means for us. If you look at the end of verse 3, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now here's where things get really scary. Because of the fact that we are evil, guess what? We are also under wrath from God. If you turn to uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul says that the wrath of God, Romans 1, uh, 18, the wrath of God is being poured out on those who deny the truth. Those who, who do not seek after God, those who are in the situation of of being sinners, the wrath of God is on you. And uh, John Piper, he, I was uh, reading some of his uh, comments on these scriptures, and, and he's, he brought out the fact that we have a, a twofold problem, a problem from within and a problem from without. From within, the problem is that we're evil, and we are not spiritually alive. We are dead. But then the problem from without is that God's wrath is upon us. He is against us because of our sin. 
A just and holy God cannot abide unrighteousness. So we have this problem from within that we are dead, we are evil, we are sinful, and we have a problem from without. We are under the wrath of God. Well, can this really be? I mean, are we really that bad? Really? I mean, that's kind of, isn't that the, the inclination that we have, that the world has? The inclination is to say, are, are we really that bad? I mean, because I've done some good things in my life, right? Have you done some good things in your life? I'm sure you have. Go find anybody out on the street. Have you done anything good? I, yeah, they'd probably be able to, to tell you some good things that they've done. So are we really that bad? Well, if anyone were, were able to uh, say, yeah, I, I've done good things in my life, it probably would have been the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, we see his, his pedigree uh, when it comes to, to doing good things. In Philippians 3, 4 through 6, uh, Paul tells us, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Basically, Paul's saying, Look, if I could be good on my own in the flesh, I would have been. I did it all right. I was of the right kind of people. I was an Israelite. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I was somebody who took it seriously. Who was a good person, who did all the right things, who went to church, who gave the sacrifices, who did all the right things. As to my zeal for the right things, I was willing to go out and persecute people who I thought were wrong. I was it when it comes to human righteousness. But we read on, and what does Paul say about his fleshly righteousness or goodness? Philippians 3, 7, But whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. All those good things, they, they were actually rubbish. You know, why is that? Well, because those good things that he was doing, he was taking the focus off of God and putting it on his own works and his own self and he was being self-deluded. He was thinking, hey, I'm okay because I do a lot of good things and that's really the, the tragedy of that situation is he was self-righteous but he didn't have the righteousness of God because that only comes through Christ. And that is the you know, the sad state of affairs that, that we find a lot of people in is they're thinking, I'm an okay person. 
Why would God be upset with me? And the problem is they're, they're looking to their own righteousness, their own goodness, and it just falls short. The standard that they need to reach is perfection. And nobody can do that. First Peter, Peter encourages us. He says, be holy because God is holy. The, the perfect example, the, the bar that needs to be set is holiness, the holiness of God. How do you come into a relationship with God? You need perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. And we already saw from Psalm 51 that we come into the world short. So here's holiness. Here we are. And if the standard is perfection, anytime we do anything less than the standard, what happens? We get further and further away. Oh, but, but I've been really good for a long time. I've been doing some really good stuff this last week. Okay, well, maybe for a week you stood still. But you can't do anything to bump up because if, if the standard is perfection, you're only living up to the standard if you're being perfect. But nobody can really be perfect. So we're always, 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 always falling away from the standard of perfection. We just can't do it. Not on our own. So we're, we're in a predicament. Now, now we get to some good news. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen? So, the thing that we have to, to realize when we're talking about grace, and this is the thing that, that the reformers were, were trying to point at, as they read through the Bible, as they, as they pondered these different things, they never saw a scripture that said, you come to God with your righteous things, acts, and he rewards you for that with salvation. They never saw that. They never saw well, you go to the Pope or you go to the priest and you give them money or you do penance or you do something and then you receive salvation. They, they didn't see that. They saw their great need, this incredible weight of sin. And then they saw things like Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Who's doing the action here? God, what's he doing? He's looking around at a bunch of dead bodies. And he's saying, I want to give you life. And he, he grabs us and he makes us alive in Christ. And it's through grace. And it's because of 
his love and his mercy and his goodness and who he is in his character that, that he would look down and see a dead body and say, life. That's the grace of God. It's a gift. If we go back to and what I what I was talking about with the, um, the definition of grace. Grace is is a gift given to us. It's it's the gift of life. It's because of God's character. It's because of His love. It's because of His mercy. But it is a gift of life to the dead man or woman. And that is what grace, or why grace is so important. Because without that gift of grace, what happens? We stay dead. Um, this is an imperfect metaphor. But do you guys see that little thing back there in the white box? An AED? Grace is a little bit like that, in that you can have a dead body, charge it up, and go, and what happens? Life, hopefully. And that is the grace of God, is that bringing the dead to life. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Not only that, but he did other things. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. And we don't have time to talk in detail about that. Um, but here's an interesting thing. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why does God bring people to life? Why does he instill that, that grace on them? Why does he choose to, to take a dead person and spiritually raise them? Why does he do that? Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. Why does he do that? To show people how gracious and kind and merciful he is. That, that anyone would be saved is a miracle. Because nobody deserves it. We are all sinners. And not only do we not deserve life, but there's nothing that a dead person, a dead body can do to, to earn it. They're dead. They just lay there. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing that, that you can impart into this process of salvation because you're dead. You're just laying there. And God chooses to show you grace. Because he looks at you and he says, I love you. I want to show mercy towards you. I want to show my kindness towards you. So 
live. And we're made alive. Verse 8. We see this phrase again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. What can a dead man do? Nothing. He can be given an amazing gift of life. And this is what, you know, we believe happens in, in salvation is that God, for uh, some people will say, well, why? Why me? Why not somebody else? It's a great question. You'll have to ask God. <laughs> but this much we do know. One of the reasons is so that he could show how gracious he is, how merciful he is, how loving he is, how kind he is. And so he chose you to show grace to. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because I can't sit here and say, oh, well, you know, I kind of deserved it, though. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I worked really hard. No, I didn't. I, did. I didn't deserve it. It was grace. Now, again, we could go off a long time on this, but that, that phrase, therefore, by grace you have been saved, through faith, if you go back to that imperfect metaphor of the AED, you get brought to life and your first response is, <gasps> I believe. I believe. Faith is, is the part of the gift of life. It is the, the gift of breath. It is the gift of blood flowing. That's faith. Faith in, in who God is, in what he says about us. Faith in the sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross. Faith in you name it. That's the, the lifeblood that we live by. But it's given to us by grace. It's a gift. We're brought to life and faith is there. And verse 9, this is not a result of works. And this is what, you know, Luther, as he, as he was going through the scriptures and others were going through the scriptures, went, whoa, not a result of works? All I've heard is that we need to do this, do that, pay this, pay that, in order to have sins forgiven, in order to be, you know, and not by works. Nothing. And so it, verses like these and others inspire these reformers to go, all right, something's not adding up here. And it's important that, that we realize that we bring nothing to salvation. It is, a, it is God's grace working in us that brings us from death to life. It's important for us to realize that because if we get off on that, 
all kinds of heresy and all kinds of corruption can come in to where it gets to the point where people are saying, well, you know, you write a check for 50000 and you're good. That's not what the Bible says. Just do this, 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 and you'll be saved. No, it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's a free gift. And that's the, the essence of grace is that it is free and it is something given to you. Now, he, he's mentioned a couple times here. Well, once he says, not the result of works. So salvation doesn't come because of works. But then verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by good works, but part of the outcome of our salvation is that we would do the good works that God has prepared for us. Do you see that? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved because of works. We are saved for works that he has prepared for us. So do we need to obey God? Absolutely. Do we need to do the things that the Bible tells us to do? Absolutely. After salvation, that's our, that's our calling. That's what we need to be excited about. But it's not the thing that saves us. It's the re part of God's reason for saving us is to do that, not because you have done that. Hopefully that makes sense. To kind of wrap things up here, um, you know, what is grace? Why is it so important for us to understand it? It's, it's important because um, grace should do a couple things in our lives. Number one, it, it should do exactly what we just saw there in verse 10. It should inspire us to, to do the good works that God has prepared for us. If you realize how great a gift you have been given, the, the proper response is, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. You know, if you have a little headache and you are given a pill that took away your little headache, like, you're kind of grateful for that. Oh, thanks. But if you realize that you are dead and then you've been given a free gift of life, Man, your heart should, should just be filled with gratitude and, and praise and go, how can, I, how can I please you, Lord? You've given me everything. How can I give back? Well, here, I have some things that I would like you to do. And, and so it should inspire us to do those things that the Bible asked us to do. Some people, and this is a huge discussion that we don't have time to go into again, but some people say that, you know, Protestants, they, they get all these doctrines and stuff, and it makes them uh, less eager to, to spread the gospel to other people because various things. But actually, if you really understand grace, 
it shouldn't make you more eager to spread the gospel because the, the simple truth is God has chosen this grace to come through the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has given us the responsibility to go tell people who Jesus is, what he's done for them. And if you look out and you see people not as, oh, they're pretty good, but, oh man, they're in trouble, it should inspire you to go, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you the gospel. Romans 10 says, you know, faith comes by hearing. And, and it's, you have to, you have to understand the predicament that people are in in order to, to want to give them the truth and to, you know, to somehow be a part of that process where, where God brings somebody who is dead to life is an honor and a privilege. And we get to do that. Understanding grace should, should compel us to go with the gospel. Really understanding grace brings a freedom and a depth of worship that is not possible as long as you think that you've done something to earn your salvation. There's freedom in saying, I've done nothing, I couldn't do anything to save myself. God, you have given me life and I don't deserve it. And the depth of worship that, that is possible when you understand that is far deeper and far more real than going, well, God, yeah, you kind of helped me out a little bit, but I was well on my way. God is more glorious the more you understand grace. God is more merciful the more you understand grace. God is more kind the more that you understand grace. He's more loving the more that you understand grace. And your depth of sin and depravity and the miracle that he would make a dead man have life by his grace. And you can be in awe and wonder at this God who, who would choose to do that for you. Well, there's, there's a lot more that, that could be said about this, but um, grace is an amazing thing. It's an amazing topic, and it's, you know, I think it's pretty clearly shown through the Bible that it is it is our salvation. When God looks out and he sees deadness, dead people, people who are against him, and he brings them to life, it is a miracle that he would choose to do that. And it is only through his power that that is even possible. Grace is what saves us. For by grace you have been saved. It's not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Amen? Amen. Uh, if you're interested in studying a little bit more, I actually found some really kind of pretty accessible 
things on, on the internet. Uh, John Piper has a really good series on all of the solas. Uh, he has a series of videos that he does called Look at the Book. So if you go to YouTube, type in John Piper, look at the book, Sola. And there's videos on all of these, and they're good. Um, there's a website called Monergism, M-O-N-E-R-G-I-S-M dot com. Go there, type in Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Solas, tons of information. It's great stuff. I'd encourage you to, to go do more reading on your own because the things that, that these people fought for in the Protestant Reformation are what we hold central to our, to our faith and to our belief in who God is and what he's done. And so they, they're important for us to remember. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness towards us and that you would bring dead people to life through your grace. Lord, we, uh, we praise you that um, in, because of Christ and because of his death on the cross, um, he took all of the, the wrath reserved for us on himself and, and uh, through faith and through grace, we have his righteousness instead of our sin and guilt. Lord, I, um, I pray that you would just make your grace more and more real to us every day. Um, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to, to look at your word, um, to sing praise to your name. And uh, would you help us to be excited and energetic about telling people the gospel, the good news of who you are, what you've done. And Lord, help us to be faithful to do those good works that you have prepared for us. We ask this in your name. Amen.